Chapter Eight of A Prairie Schooner Princess by Mary Catherine Mall. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Eight. Joe meets a friend and makes an enemy. The sound of the voices outside had wakened the boys, who, worn out from excitement of the night, had fallen into a fitful slumber. As the fact of the looting of the Carroll wagon with its disastrous consequences to the young survivor of the tragedy forced itself upon him joshua peniman uttered a loud exclamation instantly joe and lige leaped from the wagon their guns in their hands and mrs peniman still grasping her revolver parted the rear curtains of the wagon and looked out when their eyes fell upon the indian both boys started violently and joe raised his gun no no son put down thy gun cried his father this is a friend it was he who so mysteriously saved us last night he is a friend and has learned to speak a little english at the friend's mission oh cried hannah peniman and in the little exclamation was wonder relief and surprise but see hannah went on mr peniman see what those miscreants have done they have rifled the carroll wagon and carried off everything of value in it including the dispatch box the dispatch box hannah peniman's face whitened and her eyes grew dark with horror they have taken the dispatch box oh joshua that box had in it everything relating to the property and identity of that little girl her husband nodded i know he said it is a terrible catastrophe i should have put that box in my own wagon but who would have thought who would have supposed that indians neowaji who had been looking and listening impassively interrupted her indian no want papers mr and mrs peniman started and looked at one another true said joshua peniman pulling at his beard that is true neowaji presently he looked up at his wife with a troubled face there is more in this than we see now he said in a low tone and told her of the scrap of paper the print of a white man's boot at the rear of the wagon of the broken locks and open trunks and scattered books and papers in the wagon there is something very strange about it he concluded our own wagons were not disturbed our horses were not taken it almost looks to me as if the assault was made upon us to cover the rifling of the carroll wagon he stopped abruptly and stood for some moments with head bent thinking intently then going to his own wagon he returned with the arrow he had taken from the body of lee carroll silently he handed it to neowaji silently the indian inspected it santi sioux he said after a moment handing it back are you sure sure see plenty my young men fight santi sioux kill my people two three five hundred drive my people way from hunting grounds my people starve go omaha reservation they put us in friends care and this is a sioux arrow the indian nodded i took that arrow out of the dead body of a white man when he was dying he told me that it was not an indian that had killed him 
Then, by a sudden impulse, he told the chief the whole story. When it was finished, the Indian remained standing with his arms folded across his bare brown chest, his head bent, his face passive. After an interval, he spoke. "'You got papoose now?' "'Yes.' "'She sleep in wagon?' "'No, she has never slept there since her father and mother died. "'She sleeps with my little girls in that wagon.' pointing to the canvas-covered prairie schooner where his own children lay asleep. "'Indian no want papoose. Indian no want paper. White man want papoose and paper.' Joshua Peniman nodded. "'Yes, I see your point. But I don't know. It's beyond me. I don't know what to think.' The children, awakened by the talking, had now crowded to the back of the wagon, and Ruth, Nina, Sam, and Paul were staring out with bulging eyes. For the first time they were gazing upon a real red man of the plains, and strange to say their father was not shooting at him, nor scalping him, nor even being scalped by him, but was standing quietly, talking to him, evidently asking his advice. The younger children were also awake now, and Mrs. Peniman got down from the wagon and began preparing the breakfast. "'Thee must stay and break bread with us, friend Neowaji,' said Joshua Peniman, and presently the whole family were gathered about the oilcloth on the grass, with Neowaji cross-legged and silent among them. It seemed very strange to be thus eating breakfast with one of the savages of whom they stood in such deadly terror the night before. The little girls shrank closer to their mother and peered at him with fearful eyes, but the boys watched his every movement with fascinated gaze, and Lige began mentally composing a letter to Simeon Fisher in which he meant to tell him all about his friend Neowaji the great and mighty chief of the Winnebago tribe. The chief, however, after one keen glance from his black eyes, seemed to pay little attention to them. His eyes were fastened upon Nina, and whether it was her tragic story or her winning beauty that held his attention, they could not tell. When he had finished eating, he rose abruptly and said, Me go now. Then, turning to Mr. Peniman, he extended his hand. "'No be afraid,' he said in his deep, guttural voice. "'Neowaji, you friend. He watch over you. No let Quaker family get harm.' Then, as he turned to where his pony was standing, its bridle trailing on the ground, he included them all in one quick glance and muttered a guttural, "'Goodbye!' Mrs. Peniman rose and gave him her hand, thanking him for his protection. The boys also hastened to shake hands with him. But Nina sprang up from her place and ran to him, taking from her neck a pretty little blue chain, and laid it in his hand. "'Keep it,' she said, smiling up at him. "'You were good and saved us. Keep that to remember us by.' The Indian looked down from his great height upon the golden-haired little girl, then to the chain in his hand. Ump, he grunted, but they knew from the smile on his face that he was pleased. What you name? he asked. Nina, Nina Carroll. 
then with a shy little smile the boys call me princess umph again grunted the indian and mounting his pony rode swiftly away as the pioneers traveled on through the heat and dust of that day the hearts of joshua peniman and his wife were deeply troubled it was not alone that their worst fears of the perils of the plains had been realized in the attack of the night before but the menace and mystery of the theft of the dispatch box left a deep sense of fear and depression upon them i cannot but fear for the child joshua peniman said after long study we know nothing about her who she is what her life may represent or what enemies her family may have had the thought is forcing itself upon me that we should not keep her with us that we must leave her at the first mission we come to as her mother requested they may be able to get her back to her own people but who are her people how can we ever tell that now every bit of information every letter address paper everything relating to her or her relatives was in that box but surely the girl herself knows very little i have talked with her it appears that she and her parents have been traveling abroad a great deal of the time since she was born she knows that they lived in new york also for a time in st louis but she does not remember the address in either place her mother's parents are dead i believe and i judge from things she told me that there must have been some trouble with her father's family and that the young couple lived rather an independent existence then after a long pause somehow i cannot bear to leave the child at a mission think of leaving our ruth i know hannah but her safety yes i realize that we have the right perhaps to jeopardize the lives of our own family in this trip across the plains but have we the right to expose the life and safety of this child that has been left in our care they sat in deep thought for some minutes from the other wagon they could hear the chatter of the children's voices as ruth lige sam joe and nina excitedly discussed the events of the night before she still grieved for her parents but little by little the society of the wholesome healthy-minded young penimans was winning the little princess back to cheerfulness she seems very happy with us sighed mrs peniman yes i believe she is i wish we might keep her with us answered her husband gravely the next day they reached the des moines river and after making their night camp by the beautiful stream made their way the next morning to fort dodge which had been built on the east side of the des moines two years before here they found other travelers and heard the horrible details of the spring lake massacre and also of the depredations of the sioux on the south fork of the platte sam and lige who were standing near overheard a mover relating to their father the circumstances of a hideous murder of a party of immigrants which had occurred near fontenelle but a few days before these accounts while they thrilled the boys with a sense of adventure made their parents more anxious than ever 
and many times the temptation assailed them to give up the hazardous journey and return to safety and civilization. But there was something in the makeup of the early pioneers that forbade them to turn back, and after a few hours of rest they replenished their supplies and went on their way, while at Fort Dodge Joshua Peniman made inquiries in regard to missions, and learned that a Presbyterian mission had been founded at Bellevue the first permanent white settlement in Nebraska, on the west side of the Missouri River. To this he determined to make his way, and leave in safety the child of the strangers who had been entrusted to his care. The travelers had now left civilization far behind them. The boys who had so eagerly anticipated the adventures of the journey now had more than sufficient of it to satisfy them what white settlers there were in the country at that time were settled along the streams and rivers leaving the space between unorganized and wild as they traveled on trees and water grew farther and farther apart there were some trees mostly willows and cottonwoods along the borders of the streams all the rest was grass and sky they often saw large bands of indians sweeping across the plains hunting the wild game that was everywhere in great abundance they saw great herds of elk and antelope and wild turkeys were plentiful with great flocks of prairie chickens and quail they had no difficulty in providing their table with fresh meat now for the boys and their father had but to go out with their guns for an hour or two in the evening and come back with their game bags full. But while they had meat in plenty, they could no longer get fruit or vegetables. They could not supply their daily needs at towns or villages, for there were no towns, and the settlements were so far apart that many times they traveled for days without ever seeing a house or human. When they did find a settler or squatter, his home was on the bank of some river or stream, and his food consisted mostly of sow-belly and coffee, with little enough of either for himself, and none whatever for guest or traveler. The lack of green food troubled Mrs. Peniman greatly, for with the voracious appetites of her young brood, she realized that they should have vegetables to offset their constant consumption of the heavier diet. One morning, while they were traveling through western Iowa, she suddenly leaned out of the wagon, peering down into the grass. "'Stop a minute, Joshua,' she cried. "'I see something over there I want to investigate. "'It looks to me as if the Lord might be sending us the vegetables we have been wanting.' Mr. Peniman stopped the team, and she scrambled nimbly down. Seeing her leave the wagon, Ruth, Nina, Sam, and Paul eagerly followed her. "'What is it, mother? What do you see?' cried Ruth. Just then Sam stooped down and held up a small green object between his fingers. "'Look, mother,' he cried. "'Look at the funny little green balls!' "'Ah!' cried Mrs. Peniman, seizing it eagerly. "'That's what I thought. That's what I was looking for. "'Look here. See?' She stooped down 
pointing to a delicate green vine with small leaves and delicate tendrils that grew in the grass at her feet pea vines exclaimed ruth yes pea vines and these are some kind of a wild pea i am almost sure they would be good to eat by this time mr peniman lige and joe had joined them oh said mr peniman buffalo peas i have often read of them growing on the plains are they good to eat father asked sam who was in a chronic state of being hungry i think so we might try them run about and gather all you can children we'll cook them when we camp tonight with pails and baskets the young people ran about gathering the peas from the low trailing vines they're the queerest peas i ever saw said joe they haven't any pods and they're so big look and he held up a round green ball about as large as a marble pale green on one side and on the other a dull purplish red when camp was struck that evening there was great interest shown in the preparation of the buffalo peas after soaking them in water mrs peniman put them on to boil with a pinch of soda then drained off that water put fresh water upon them let them boil again and when they were tender served them with a dressing of milk the family ate them but it was the general opinion that the peas had grown too old to be prepared in that way and on the next evening mrs peniman made them into a pea soup which was pronounced delicious by the entire family and became a distinct addition to their diet as long as the buffalo pea season lasted the boys had often remarked as they traveled farther and farther westward into the uninhabited wilderness that the road over which their prairie schooners rumbled was a broad hard highway with scarcely a blade of grass upon its surface joe wondered at this and asked his father why it should be so we are traveling over the old oregon trail my boy mr peniman told him it is an old old trail the first highway made into the wilderness of the west by the feet of white men who made it demanded lige who resented any one having been ahead of them in pioneer life the trail was first made in eighteen thirteen by what was known as the astorian expedition which set out from st louis with about a hundred men intending to cross the mountains and build a fort for the american fur trading company in oregon you boys should read the history of that expedition you would find it most interesting did they get there asked sam who was always interested in the result of any adventure his father smiled yes sam they got there when i knew that a part of our journey would lead us along the old oregon trail i read up its history they had a terrible journey but after great losses and hardships seven men reached the columbian river where they built a fort which they called astoria after john jacob astor of new york the president of the fur company the indians set upon them and stole their goods and their stock and they returned to st louis with only one old horse which they had succeeded in trading for with a friendly indian 
but that was so long ago father put in joe i should think the trail would have been lost since it probably would have been answered his father but that it was kept open by the oregon immigration of eighteen thirty two but it was beaten into its present good condition and has been kept so by the gold seekers and immigrant trains that began the rush to california in eighteen forty nine this is also sometimes called the mormon trail because it was over this very road that we are traveling now that the mormons passed on their pilgrimage to salt lake in eighteen forty seven they too had great hardships and losses and had to winter at florence a little trading station on the missouri river which we should reach very soon now jiminy that's interesting cried joe who had been listening intently it makes it so much more interesting when you think of who's been over this old road before how much easier and pleasanter it is to learn history and geography when you're right on the spot than when you're sitting on a hard bench at school toward evening the country became more rolling and shortly before sunset they saw in the distance a blue haze and high steep bluffs joe whose eyes were always on the alert cried river ahead mr peniman who was studying a map spread out on his knees looked up yes he said that is the missouri river the missouri at last whooped lige hooray now the fun will begin mr and mrs peniman looked at one another to them the experiences that lay beyond the missouri did not appeal in the light of fun the day had been hot and clear and as the sun sank in the west it left a sky of intense brilliance shot with crimson and gold fading away toward the horizon in tender pink and mauve and lavender they drove into the staggering little trading post of florence where the unhappy mormons had passed such a tragic winter many years before and as they left it and drove over a small hill their eyes fell upon a sight grander and more beautiful than moses saw from the top of nepo's mountain the valley of the missouri lay before them and with the great river sweeping by long lines of bluffs covered with waving trees it presented to them a panorama both magnificent and inspiring see that great bluff over there joe called his father that's where the lewis and clark expedition held their first great council with the indians it was called council bluffs in memory of that event which was the beginning of the opening up of this great western country i am told it has come to be a great indian trading station twilight was beginning to fall as they drove into the trading post which is now the city of council bluffs it was a great sight to the young easterners on every hand were indians indians and more indians some wearing the cotton shirt and trousers of civilization others blankets others rejoicing in the garb of nature augmented by a breech clout and a few feathers in their hair the squaws with their papooses strapped on their backs stood stolidly about some in blankets 
some in ugly calico mother hubbard wrappers these indians were mostly omahas with some pawnees arapahoes and pontawamas all friendly to the white man the omaha reservation was but a short distance away and the indians were bringing in skins furs and buffalo hides and exchanging them for blankets flour coffee and the white man's fire-water there were many immigrant wagons gathered in the wide straggling street between two rows of one-story shanties and white men were trading with red men home-seekers anxious seeking information dogs were barking children crying men arguing and swearing while the patient oxen hitched to the wagons breathed gusty sighs of rest and the few women who were on their way to a home in the new country west of the missouri looked on with troubled eyes or hurried in and out of the few straggling shops making their purchases the Peniman family had all alighted from their wagons before the general store, and while Mr. and Mrs. Peniman went in to make some purchases, followed by David and the little girls, Joe and Lige stood outside, looking with interested attention at the strange novel spectacle of an Indian trading station. They were watching some white men who were talking with a group of Indians. Suddenly Joe pricked up his ears and walked nearer a tall slenderly built man with a red dissipated face watery red-lidded eyes and longish red hair was holding out a string of beads and jabbering in his own language to a tall handsome young indian who had an otter pelt over his arm ah don't you do it joe burst out suddenly he's stringing you that string of bees ain't worth twenty-five cents the young indian turned and looked at him and the man turning several shades redder than before wheeled upon him with an oath mind your own business you little pup he roared who's asking your advice whether he understood what had been said or not joe did not know but the indian turned and walked away carrying the pelt with him the man strode up to joe with a menacing attitude i'll teach you to interfere in my business again you meddlesome young fool he shouted and raised his clenched fist at this moment mr and mrs peniman came out of the store followed by ruth sarah and nina carroll joshua peniman seeing his son threatened hurried to his side and the man with another great oath turned and faced him as he did so the oath died upon his lips his eyes flew wide and his mouth fell open and the fiery color receded from his face leaving it gray and ashen joe staring at him saw that his eyes were fixed upon nina with the look of a man who sees an apparition from another world what's the matter here cried joshua peniman joe what has this man been doing to you nothing answered joe with a laugh he's just mad because i busted up his trade with an indian say what do you think the old cheat was trying to trade that young buck out of a splendid otter skin for a string of nasty little cheap yellow beads joshua peniman turned to the man but he was paying no attention to them 
with eyes fixed on the face of the little princess he stood motionless his thin dissipated face almost white through its coat of tan mrs peniman who saw the look seized nina by the hand and hurried her away the man whirled upon joshua peniman who is that he demanded what's her name who asked mr peniman coolly he too had seen the expression and was on his guard immediately that that girl where did she come from what's her name ruth and nina had come out of the store together joshua peniman whose conscience would not let him lie purposely misunderstood which little girl he meant that little girl is my daughter her name is ruth peniman she comes from muskingum valley in ohio he answered the man stared at him with fiery eyes are you lying to me if you are you'd better make your will right now i am not lying to you i never lie my name is joshua peniman i and my family are crossing the plains to nebraska the little girl you just saw come out of the store with my wife is my daughter ruth this is my son joe the stranger turned and cast a snarling glance at the boy he'd better not interfere in my business again or his name'll be on a coffin plate he growled and moved away joshua peniman motioned to the wagons in with you boys he said in a low voice we'll have to get away from here when they were in the wagons again and on the road he turned to his wife what does it mean he said in a voice so low that the little girls who were in the back of the wagon dressing the china dolls they had bought at the trading station could not hear him what is this mystery that is following us it is evident that nina is in danger from someone for some reason that we know nothing about i shall be thankful when we can put her into the hands of those who are in a better position to protect her than we are that man back there breathed mrs peniman scarcely above a whisper that horrible creature thought acted as if he knew her he did know her or he thought he did he had some sort of a shock when his eyes fell upon her he was not sure and i think i threw him off the trail it is strange strange in this vast new country what can it mean cried mrs peniman and gazed out over the prairies with brooding eyes. End of chapter 8